0: Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at MontroseChurch.org. Have a great
1: day. Well, celebrating and thinking about uh, grace and a kingdom above all kingdoms and what that looks like and uh, what that might mean in your life and in your journey this morning, And I don't know about you, but it feels like maybe um, we could all use a little encouragement that uh, somewhere along the way, as we've gotten uh, more uh, guidelines and things that uh, by now we hoped would be all done, and maybe we'd be moving on to another phase, it feels like we're kind of stuck and starting over and doing the same things again. And so we're thinking a little bit, uh, as we wrap up this series on... Uh, A kingdom above all kingdoms and how important it is, uh, Colton, as we think about the things we've been through in 2020, um, COVID, uh, the election cycle, uh, all of the things that are going on, even today as we continue to try to sort out and move into a Thanksgiving season uh, that'll probably be a little bit unlike most of the ones we've ever experienced. Uh, You and I belong to a kingdom that's above all kingdoms. Our citizenship is not here. It's in heaven. And... When Jesus uh, taught the disciples to pray, he invited them to plead daily, hourly, moment by moment, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so a couple of things just to think about this morning, Uh, I I want you to think about this little piece of information that uh, is in the Bible, by the way, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Jesus teaches this point in a number of places, in a number of ways, in a number of times. And so uh, to just kind of begin to think about that and to think about what grace might look like and what that might mean to you personally, uh, because I want us to dig in a little bit and maybe, uh, you know, think together about grace in some ways that we haven't before. I, I don't think you can say a kingdom of unending grace and have any sort of negative feeling. I'm not sure that that phrase elicits anything except a positive response. It's, it, speaks, it could speak about a people who are graceful, people who are delicate, uh, appropriate, uh, good to be around, pleasant, uh, can't think of anything uh, in a kingdom of unending grace in which people behave in graceful ways that is negative. I think that might be okay. Uh, it could be uh, that it means a place of great freedom. And love, it can mean a, a sort of idea in which this kingdom of unending grace gives us a, an infinite kind of freedom, uh, a kind of uh, prejudice of optimism that people are going to regard us and we're going to regard one another uh, with patience and understanding and, and, and benevolence, and I think that matters a lot. Uh, I think when we begin to think about it, uh, maybe whatever we've been taught or when we think about grace, maybe it's a little bit feeble uh, as to what Jesus really intended for us to get Mm -hmm. and to understand. And so, obviously, to try to think about this a a little bit today, I I was impressed. I looked uh, in dictionary.com for the, you know, the definition of grace, and here it is as printed, the freely given unmerited favor and love of God. The influence, our spirit of God operating in humans to regenerate or strengthen them. A virtue, our excellence of divine origin. The Christian graces, also called state of grace. The condition of being in God's favor. Wow. So, this morning what I want you to do uh, for a minute is just get focused. And I want you to take a deep breath because I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to warn you right now, it's a long question. Uh, It's got a lot of layers, so uh, you'll have to pay attention. So, here you go. Are you ready? In a world where we so often live in a mindset of being victimized, that is, when we so often feel that we are misunderstood, That we are misrepresented. That we live in relationship to our world and culture in fearful ways. Where we so often feel unappreciated. Where we feel like life is on the brink. Where instinctively we feel a need to fight back that when people speak to us, our things happen, our news stories run, we feel defensive. Where many of us feel generally that we are under attack. How often do you fully appreciate that you are the recipient of the unmerited favor of God? That in fact, God is working to regenerate to strengthen and to empower you. And how often do you live daily with an understanding or a sense that you are living in God's favor? It just seems to me that you and I, we, we talk about grace and we traffic in grace, but, but I'm not sure we feel grace. Yeah. I'm not sure that today, as we think about COVID and, and Thanksgiving, you know, under the conditions that we're facing it, that, that we necessarily feel that God is doing some sort of regenerative work, that He's doing some kind of work that empowers you and it empowers me. And, and so my prayer this morning is that we sort of get into that conversation. Yes. The state of grace in which we find ourselves is uh, it's not something that we traffic in much. In fact, as I've been thinking about how this concept affects me, I find that it's got a lot of competition in my head.
0: Hmm.
1: So here's the thing that maybe I think, I, I don't know how you feel, but I have this underlying opinion that the people around me and the institutions around me, so that would be everybody from... The restaurant where I want to get food to the government to uh, world politics to the economy to really everybody at all times should do the right thing I have this deep underlying sense that they ought to do the right thing and I feel you know like it's sort of elementary that they ought to do the right thing and here's what's interesting to me when I think about that I know what the right thing is. You do. I have an opinion about it. <laughs> and I want to impose that on others. And I'm pretty sure that my opinion about what the right thing is, is the right thing. And so I go through life with an opinion that people need to do the right thing. They need to shape up. And I can critique that in real time. I can critique that in any given situation. How it's going at the drive through How it's going at, you know, uh, at the retail store. How it's going at the grocery store. How it's, you know, when you go to the grocery store and there's no toilet paper or paper towels again, <laughs> don't you just say, somebody ought to have done the right thing? Somebody ought to do the right thing. And, and I inherently know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> I have such a deep sensitivity with the core rhythm of the universe that, that I know what it is. And I'm, incredible. I, I would guess that most everybody that's listening, and certainly you, even though yes. you're kind of leaving me out here, <laughs> when, <laughs> I would guess that we all have that same feeling. That we know what's right, and we wish people would shape up. We wish the government would shape up. We, we wish, uh, you know, people around us would do the right thing. We, we pretty much have this deep sense of what's going on in the process. So when you stop and you think about that, I, I just want you to understand this. All of those things have something to do with justice and righteousness and fairness. And so just so we're clear... And you got to stay with me now, so for all you theologians, don't don't bail out in the next two minutes. (laughs) Stay with me. We have to understand that those emotions and those feelings that pull us into space about right, and listen, we get personal with this. You know, I'm guessing right now that you could think about the people in your home and family, and you could say, I don't know why they won't do the right thing. I don't know why they don't act right. I don't know why they don't do right. These are all elements that have to do with righteousness and justice and fairness and those things. I just want you to know this. <laughs> to those things, grace is a mutually exclusive term. You cannot do these things and be practicing grace. Theologians, stay with me. Grace is unmerited favor, it is a disposition that offers. Love and mercy and understanding and benevolence when it is not deserved, when it is not righteous and it's not just and it's not fair. If it's righteous or just or fair, we don't need grace. These are mutually exclusive concepts. And the kingdom of God is a kingdom of unending grace. It's really important. Dave?
0: Yeah. Question. So justice and grace, why do we so often
1: lean into the justice category? So here's the thing. Number one, I think we think we can control it. Hmm. But number two, justice matters to God and righteousness matters. So now the theologians can, now you can come back. (laughs) You can breathe again. You can (laughs) breathe again because somebody out there was just like, oh no, oh no. (laughs) In fact, righteousness and justice, and this is where this gets crazy. Righteousness and justice and fairness is so important to God. It, it is a part of what makes God holy. You couldn't have a holy God if there was not a thing called righteousness, if there was not a thing called justice. And so important is this, that God holds all of these ideas in tension. In fact, that is the very definition of holiness, that God holds justice and mercy in the proper tension, and He holds grace and righteousness in the proper tension, something only God could ever do. But because righteousness and justice and fairness are so important to God, who is running a kingdom of unending grace, He sent His Son in order to be our righteousness, in order to be our justice. So, so listen to how it is spoken of. Because this is the heart of the theology of the atonement. 2 Corinthians five sixteen. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old is gone and the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. It's a a kingdom of unending grace, but it's a kingdom where justice and righteousness and fairness matter to God. So much so that he says, you're never going to be righteous, just, and holy on your own. So I will send Christ to be righteousness for you. Philippians 3, 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may, be, may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which through faith in Christ, that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So we're recipients of God's grace. And, and then under the atoning work of Jesus Christ, we are made whole, righteous, are uh, his His grace is made perfect in our weakness. And so we live in this place where we are considered to be righteous and whole because of the grace of God. Amen. And so here's the crazy thing that in this world, we are then called to be ambassadors of grace, ambassadors of reconciliation. Are you? Is that the defining quality of who you are and what you're about? So for a moment, I, I want you to think about this story of Zacchaeus. And I want to tell you this, and then Colton's going to read it for us. But I want to tell you this. This is an emotional story. In fact, this is one of those places in Scripture where when Jesus told this story, and when they, early readers would have read this story, they would have had a visceral, emotional reaction to what is being said. Jesus is layering up this account in a way. This is being told in a way. That, that the people listening to it would have been, they would feel like you feel when you're watching the news. They would feel an internal sort of tension. They would feel kind of uh, misunderstood, misrepresented. And we're going to kind of dive into it. This is not just a nice story that has a nice song about no. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and he climbed up in a sycamore tree. Right. This has got some depth to it. And it has to do with the grace of God. Read the story for us from Luke 19. Colton. Luke 19, uh, verse
0: 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, "'Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today.' So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, "'He has gone to be the guest of a sinner.' But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, "'Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount.' Jesus said to him, "Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham.' For the Son of Man came to seek and save the
1: lost. Powerful stuff. All right, so let's get into the content. First of all, we're told that uh, Jesus is entering the city of Jericho. Uh, Jericho is one of the wealthiest cities of the first century literally in the world. Now, we don't think about Jericho as being this wonderful, wealthy place. But in the first century, it was. In fact, you would be astonished at what was going on in Jericho. First of all, Jericho, because of its geographic location, all of the traffic and trade that's coming from anywhere in the West is going to move through, you know, Israel. It's going to move through Jericho specifically and cross the Jordan and head on into all points east. Uh, all points east coming into, and, and here's one of the reasons. One of the reasons is the Great Valley. Uh, that allows people to traverse all the way to the Mediterranean, cuts through the Jordan River Valley and then the Jezreel River Valley or the Jezreel Valley. And so you know you have this immense amount of commerce passing through the city of Jericho. If you just brought that down simply to Jerusalem as a major city of trade, uh, and the access point to Jerusalem from the east is through uh, the Jordan River and Jericho. So so you've got number one, you've got this trade center. With all of the entry points and exit points and all of the taxation that would have gone through for that in the, in the early world and in the first century. And so the amount of tax being collected in Jericho is an enormous amount because mm-hmm. the volume of money and wealth that's passing, passing through Jericho uh, is, is immense. It's a busy city. <laughs> it's a busy city. Number two, though, and maybe one thing you don't know is that Jericho in the first century, and and for centuries leading up to it, had been the sole provider of a product that was sought after worldwide. In fact, in Jericho proper, there were two plantations that grew a specific plant. Now, legend has it that the Queen of Sheba gave this plant to uh, King Solomon, and they began to grow it in Jericho. At the in the first century at the height, maybe say it this way, at the height of the production of this plant, only about 40 acres of plantation grew, grew on two plantations. The the way to cultivate it was very difficult and secret. And the way to produce the product from this plant was very secret. And it was called the balsam plant. And the balsam plant grew and thrived in only one place on the planet in the city of Jericho though the plant is known to grow in some other places for whatever reason whatever technique had developed over the centuries these two plantations were producing in fact from the word balsam we get the word balm. Hmm. so so these plants were producing something that had a healing property when the Romans came into power, they they so desperately sought the product of the balsam plant, the balm. In fact, you've probably read in the Bible, the balm in Gilead. Yeah. The balm in Gilead is the balm that is made from the balsam plant in the city of Jericho mm-hmm. from these 40 acres of plants that are cultivated. Now... When you stop and you think about that, the Romans were seeking it. In fact, we're told that at the fall of Jerusalem, which is going to happen, you know, future past Zacchaeus' time in about 70 A.D., we're told that two significant battles were fought in Jericho with the sole purpose of the Romans preventing the Jews from destroying these plantations. These, these were some of the most valuable plants in the entire world. Wow. Now, the balm traditionally was used for a number of things. Are, are you starting to kind of get where we're headed here? <laughs> you starting to understand why the people would have been hearing this story a little differently than we're hearing it? So the balm originally, when it was produced, it, it had several qualities. Number one, it was considered to be medicinal and have healing properties. It was aromatic and it was considered to be one of the most luxurious perfumes in the world and the, one of the most luxurious aromas. Therefore, it has traditionally been used to make the incense for the temple. So what burned in the Holy of Holies was a part of the balm of Gilead. It was part of that fragrance. And so when you imagine now that the Romans, in fact, when, when Jerusalem falls in 70 AD, Titus and Vespasian carry balsam plants and the product of the balsam plants back through the parade in Rome to signify the subduing of Israel. This is deeply connected into the culture. These plants and this product is deeply connected. So now you have, in the first century, a man named Zacchaeus who is a tax collector. And what, ta- what Zacchaeus has done is he's become a co-conspirator with the Romans. And, and he's not just stealing money. He is taking the product of which there is precious little. And he's giving it to the Romans instead of giving it to the Jews. Wow. He's trafficking in this reality that he's taking their culture. He's taking their sacred properties, the things that allow the temple to be the temple... And he's selling them off to the highest bidder. But, but it's even a layer deeper than that. Literally what he is trafficking in is what they consider to be one of the most powerful medicines in the world. And so that, so that literally he is taking medicine from them, from their sick, from their elderly, from the people who need it. And he's giving it away to the Romans, selling it in conspiracy with the Romans. Hmm. So that his own people are suffering and dying for lack of medicine, that he is giving away for money. So when Jesus is telling this story, when this thing is happening, this is a, this is a man who, it would be hard to find something in there that's good, redemptive. Yeah, You know, he's not only a thief and stealing money, but it's much deeper than that. He is betraying the goodness of all of those around him, of his whole country and his whole culture and his faith. All of it is happening in this. And so if if you want to know the rest of the story about the balsam industry and why we don't have it, we don't know. Hmm. It simply ceased to exist somewhere around the 3rd or 4th century. Today, if you go to Israel, I didn't know this. I'm going to try to see it the next time I'm there. They are working to figure out how to recultivate this plant. They, as of now have not figured it out. So secretive was the process wow. by which they grow the plants and also uh, extract the products. So to just understand now what's going on.
0: So Dave, Zacchaeus was hated way more than we might oh. first understand.
1: The, the issue of what Jesus is doing in this story, of this incident that's coming on. In fact, we're told that, you know, here's this very powerful person and we're told that he is so hated that when he comes to try to see Jesus, nobody's parting to let him in. I mean, can you imagine the person with this power, but so hated that people are like, yeah, no, I'm not stepping aside. Wow. So he's forced to go climb a tree in order to see Jesus. Hmm. So I see four things that I think uh, have to do with the way we are embodying grace on earth. Number one, uh, Jesus teaches us a grace that sees. Hmm. Jesus looks up and he sees Zacchaeus. He could have avoided the whole awkward situation by simply not seeing him just by ignoring him. But he doesn't ignore the need, and he doesn't pretend it doesn't exist, and he doesn't pretend that the awkwardness isn't there, and he doesn't pretend that the hatred is not there. He didn't hide from the conflict that it would stir up. Instead, he chooses to see. Grace always chooses to see.
0: Absolutely. You know, I think it's, it's interesting, Dave, because we've heard this story for a long time. So, we kind of think, I don't know. It, it's just interesting that Jesus would be walking in, and this guy's in a tree, and he sees him, and kind of how unusual that would be. You know? yeah. We don't talk about how kind of weird that is. No. But it is amazing that Jesus first sees him and calls out to him, and that's the first step to grace for us as well. Yeah. And so I think of a couple of things. The first, Dave, is have you ever been walking through the street? And I know all of us have done this. The pub, We're in public, and we're walking by somebody, and it's kind of awkward, and you kind of want to shield yourself from the awkwardness, so you kind of look down at your phone, or they look down at their phone, right? This is the opposite of that. The first step of grace is not looking away, right? It's, It's engaging with people. And then the second thing, Dave, is that I always used to do this thing where when you pull up the stop signs, there's stoplights and someone's there asking for some money or they're in need of something. You kind of pull up and they have a cardboard sign. And again, it's, it's a similar situation to the phone. You kind of turn away. You're awkward. Maybe you don't have any cash or anything to give to the person. And we look away. And, and three years ago, I was in Boise and I was at a stoplight and someone was there with the cardboard sign. I was like, oh, I don't have any cash and turn it away. And I kind of felt this kind of the spirit or, or, and just say, hey, look at this person. You know, see them. So I looked at this person and and kind of began to pray for him, you know? Yeah. And that is the first step of what we see in this text to grace, is seeing people not looking away, not being a people that turn away. We're too busy. I don't need this. No, it's seeing people. And that's what Jesus did to Zacchaeus.
1: Yeah. And, you know, one of the things, because we've been talking about this generationally, and one of the things that I think old people do, older people do, and younger people do, this is something we really share in common. And that is we feel misunderstood, we feel mistreated we feel like 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 if i just said politically right now you know how often uh is your particular persuasion misrepresented by something misrepresented in the media misrepresented described incorrectly you're thrown into a big you know stereotypical sort of pot and all people like that are like that you know if you're voted this way you're all like that and if you vote that way you're all like that and i think kids do this they don't do so much about politics but but there are people that, you know, they don't get it. You know, I don't, that whole sort of sense of not being understood and not being, you know, and and, and what we decide in that is, while we all feel that sort of mistreatment, we also give it to others. Hmm. We, we, you know, we think of people stereotypically. We don't see them. We don't see people for who they are and how they're made and what, even though we feel misunderstood and, you know, we don't think they're misunderstood. We think we understand what they stand for. We think we understand their politics. We think we understand their perspective. And I think as Christians, we're the people who see, you know, we don't, we don't have the convenience of being prejudiced. We don't have the convenience of treating people as a stereotype. You know, this is the kingdom of unending grace and grace always sees and Jesus sees Zacchaeus. Yeah. The second thing is, it's a grace that connects. He, 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 and, and this just blows my mind. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I was Jesus and I was walking into this town, I, I would immediately go, man, I don't, I don't want to get connected to Zacchaeus. I, that's just too controversial. There's too many bad things that can happen. You know, let's just get in and get out and, you know, we'll preach a sermon and we'll be done.
0: Hmm.
1: But Jesus sits down in space with this person and, and to me I immediately go Jesus is sitting down in space that most Christians would not sit down in. Wow. We, we would ignore it. Wow. We wouldn't see it in the first place but we certainly wouldn't connect to it and if we weren't ignoring it we would probably be judging it. We would probably be looking at it and applying our filter of righteousness and justice and fairness instead of grace. But Jesus and this is a staggering story. I mean it's not supposed to be sweet. No. He sees him and he willingly says, I'm going to your house. He connects with him. He builds a relationship with him.
0: So people have to push back all that. They have to push through the injustices and all that to get to grace. See people the first step and the second is connect. And that part is what's so crazy about the story. Is it would have been kind of a much more calm story if Jesus just yells at Zacchaeus, hey, you're a sinner, you're forgiven, all right, let's keep going. Yeah. No, I'm going to go to the guy's house, yeah. and I'm going to sit down with him, and everybody's like, no way, what is he doing? Yeah. And for us, that's what we need to do. We need to not be afraid to see first and then connect yeah. and push through everything that just holds us back and tells us not to do that. Right, Dave? Well, and
1: push through. You know, here's the whole thing. You know, grace is mutually exclusive to righteousness and justice and... You know, we all stand in a righteousness that belongs to Christ because we're not righteous. All of sin and come short of the glory of God. None of us are righteous. And so we all stand in the grace of God. God treats us this way, but we don't really treat others. Do mm-hmm. unto others as you would have them do unto you. We want grace, but we want justice for everybody else. We want righteousness for everybody else. We just want to... So, so Jesus sits down in this space and he connects with this person. The third thing I see is this. It's a grace that stands up to the opposition. So we're told really simply that the people muttered or that they grumbled. Don't you think that's probably mild? Don't you think that's a mild way of saying they were outraged? They were willing to write off Jesus and his message because he had chosen to associate with this man who was a backstabber and a sinner and a thief and uh, betraying them. And I mean... And so Jesus, he just, he not only connects, but then he's like, I, I'm going to love this guy. And you can just get over it. And here's just this astonishing thought I have we stand up to the opposition. But usually, if the church is standing up to the opposition, it's for the sake of righteousness, not grace. Hmm. Usually, we're, we're outraged, ah, because it's not right. You want to get a bunch of Christians inflamed? You tell them that people aren't being righteous or just. You, you, you don't find too many people standing up for the cause of grace and saying, no, I'm going to keep loving this. I don't care if you like it or not. I don't care. I'm going to keep loving them. I'm just going to keep loving them. I'm just going to keep loving them. I'm going to keep seeing them. I'm going to keep connecting with them. And I'm going to stand up to the opposition in the name of grace. And I don't care if you mutter or grumble. I'm going to love them anyway. Hmm. I'm going to keep standing in that space. So good.
0: Dave, one thing I think about that is I think of culture and social media about how they push us to camps. And we've yeah. been talking about it throughout this whole series. Yeah. One side or the other, young people are starting to get this more and more. Older people, of course, you know. And the grace is for those people in that camp. Yeah. It's for only these people. And those people, no shot. Yeah. They don't get any of that grace. But that is not what's going on here. Jesus yeah. shows us that it's not just for people in our camps. Right. It's for people that believe differently than us, disagree with us. Because we believe people
1: in our camp are righteous because we're righteous. Right, right. So they're mutually exclusive terms. We don't need grace because we're already doing it right. Our side's right. Our perspective's right. Our politics are right. It's those other crazy people. It's those other people that are going to ruin the culture. They're going to ruin society. They're going to drive the country into the dirt, you know. And what are we asking for? We're asking for them to get it right. But... This is, a, this is a kingdom of unending grace. This is a place where we, we grace one another. Finally, and here's crazy, it's a grace that transformed. This grace was the foundation of the transformation that now takes place. He sees him, he connects, he stands up to the opposition in defense of him. And now suddenly we see Zacchaeus as a different human. And he's not just changed a little bit. No, I mean, the, the extravagance of what he says here is, I, I, I'm going to pay back you know, I'm gonna give, first of all, I'm gonna give half of my wealth to the poor. And if I've wronged anybody, I'm gonna return four times what I've taken from them. This is a radical transformation of a human soul. And it is solely because, Jesus didn't come and, and he didn't stand in the street and say, and I say unto thou, be thou righteous and follow thou the law. He doesn't say that. He says, come down from there, I'm gonna have lunch with you today. Hmm. And this act of grace and standing up to the opposition of all these people who hated Zacchaeus in the name of righteousness transformed his heart, transformed his life, changed him from the inside out, and it's founded on grace.
0: It's a powerful ending to the story here, yeah. you know. And I just ask myself and all of us, are we transformed by God's grace like that? Yeah. You know, does her life look different?
1: Yeah. Do and we even let it get in us. Yeah,
0: do we let it seep in and change us day to day, you know? Yeah. Cuz I think of cheap grace, right? The the coin, the coin phrase by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, mm-hmm. this grace that happens when we say a prayer and then nothing happens. It's as if it's as if Zacchaeus, you know, kind of Jesus forgave him and then he just continued to go on and cheat people. Yeah. But that's not what happens. No. It's the he's transformed. And we have to be transformed like that. Yeah. And so for all of us, are we being transformed by God's grace daily? Does our life look different yeah. and is it just is it pouring out of us to others? Yeah
1: So I I guess I would just wrap it up by saying this. Do you, are you a recipient of God's unending grace? How do you treat yourself? Understanding this You're not righteous and I'm not righteous You don't practice justice and I don't practice justice. I do it to the best of my ability But how God responds to me is in grace when I fail When I, I at moments, choose to do the wrong thing instead of the right thing, God meets me with unending grace because that is the nature of the heart of God. So much so that He provided a way of justice and mercy and righteousness through the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ. How often do I say, Jesus so much wanted to love me with unending... God so much wanted to love me with unending grace that He sent His Son... And how often do I do I look at myself and think of myself in that light? That I that I think of God's unending grace to me, love for me, that He keeps wrapping me up and picking me up and dusting me off yes. and, and, and and being strength in my weakness and and filling in the gaps. And and I think because maybe we don't live fully in the joy and the celebration and the beauty of that story and of that love, then we we don't treat others that way. Or maybe we just think we're special and God loves us because we deserve it, and which is not grace. (laughs) You know, maybe somewhere in our brain it's justice. God's getting a good deal when he got us. Yeah. But the biblical story is that you and I are desperately in need of God's grace, of his love. And then we're supposed to go out into this world. And it occurs to me that when I think about the people around me, I. I have a pretty clear idea of what they've done to me, the wrongs they've done. I mean, I, I can say to people, well, here we go again. Yeah. They're doing it again. This is just how they act. This is just what they're like, which tells me that for most of us, we have a, some kind of record in us of what other people have done to us. We keep track, <laughs> but I forget the good things they do. I mean, that doesn't stick with me. Not, I don't know how many of us go. There they go again, being nice again. There they go again. They're doing the kindness again. They're doing the sweetness again. They're doing the responsible thing again. Because we don't think like that. We keep records of wrongs and we forget the good. And it ought to be exactly the opposite. We ought to keep records of good and forget the wrongs. How much better would our lives work? How much better would our relationships work? How much better would our families work? How much more of a celebration of Thanksgiving would we have if we simply embraced that reality and we said, I'm going to live and be an ambassador of this unending grace. I'm going to practice it at the very deepest levels. I'm going to see. I'm going to connect. I'm going to stand in opposition to anybody that says we ought to be mean, that we ought to be calling for righteousness. We ought to be living in the space of unending grace because it is this grace that ultimately transforms us and leads us into the space. We're going to say a prayer. The band's going to come back. We're going to sing this song, and I hope as we sing it, it's going to mean something entirely different than it did a few minutes ago when we sang it. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. God, would you help us? As we think about what it would mean for us to be... Not only recipients of this unending grace, but that we would be ambassadors of this unending grace. That we would share it and speak it and live it and love like that and believe like that and recognize that while something in us just demands righteousness, you have offered instead grace. And we know that that grace ultimately empowers us in order to lead us in the paths of righteousness. We get all of that. We know behavior matters and choices matter. But I am pretty sure none of us can fully comprehend the depth of your grace to us. I pray as we sing this song that you would make that vivid and real in our hearts and that we would go out from this place and we would practice that unending grace that your Holy Spirit would check us and pull us away from that judgment and into this space that is full of grace. Lord, we serve your kingdom that is above all kingdoms, and we pray that you would help us in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information,
1: please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.